0: Good
1: afternoon and welcome to On the Arts, KLW's weekly radio magazine of the performing arts. I'm your host, David LaTulipe. On this Valentine's Day 2024, we'll be treated to the voice of Frida Payne. She's got a tribute to Ella Fitzgerald at the Marin Center this Friday. You'll also hear about ongoing activities and the new renovation of the San Francisco Community Music Center on Cap Street. Executive Director Julie Steinberg is here to talk to us about that. Fred Pitts has a one-man show, aren't you? At the Marsh in Berkeley, we'll hear about that. That runs through March 2nd. Plus, a very unique event, pub choir, becoming a worldwide phenomena. My guest, Philippa Kelly, will interview Astrid Jorgensen, the founder of Pub Choir. Stay with us on the arts, coming up after this news update from the
2: BBC. BBC News, I'm John Shea. Police in Kansas City in the United States say between 10 and 15 people have been shot at the end of a victory parade for the Super Bowl champions. Chaos broke out when shots were fired close to the city's Union Station. Thousands had joined the celebrations for the Kansas City Chiefs, who won American football's premier event on Sunday. Quinton Lucas is the city's mayor. This
3: is absolutely a tragedy, the likes of which we would have never expected in Kansas City and the likes of which we will remember for some time. However, I want to say thank you to those who are making sure that we are safe today, those who are investigating this incident, and those who will continue to make sure that those who committed these acts today are brought to justice.
2: The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has insisted that Israel will press ahead with a ground offensive against Hamas in Rafah in southern Gaza, despite a growing international outcry. He said powerful action was needed in Rafah." Nick Beak is in Jerusalem.
1: What he's indicating is, despite all these warnings from the United Nations, aid agencies, notably from the United States, he is going to pursue this course of action. And that means moving 1.5 million Palestinians out of the city of Rafa so that the Israeli military can embark on this big military operation to try and wipe out the remaining Hamas fighters. All of this, of course, makes a pretty bleak backdrop for the negotiations that continue to try and find some sort of ceasefire or lull in the fighting. They've been taking place in Cairo and we hear that representatives from Hamas will be joining the discussions in the days to come.
2: The White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan has said there are increasing accounts of some Ukrainian troops running out of ammunition as new aid for Kiev remains stalled in the US Congress. Despite these pressures, Kiev on Wednesday announced another success, saying it destroyed a Russian landing ship off occupied Crimea. James Waterhouse is in Kiev.
0: It's clearly
3: uh, something that Russia has used a lot, extensively over the Black Sea. It's the most efficient way for it to transport men and machinery to supply its invasion effort further north. So this will be a blow for Moscow and a continuation of a strategy which has proved to be quite effective for Ukraine. It's unblocked some of its ports by taking out Russian vessels, either through marine drones, which was the case here, or through longer-range missiles. But it is doing little, crucially, for Kiev to influence things on the
2: front line. The government of Trinidad and Tobago says at least two vessels were involved in an accident that caused a major oil spill last week. The vessels appear to have been heading from Panama to Guyana, but the authorities there say neither arrived as expected. It's not known if any lives were lost. This is the latest world news from the BBC. Scientists are warning of dire consequences for the world from pressures on the Amazon rainforest. Computer modelling indicates deforestation, rising temperatures, drought and fire could push up to half of it into an irreversible collapse by mid-century. There are concerns that the region is becoming a source of carbon emissions rather than a sponge soaking them up. The Environment Ministry in Colombia says critically endangered species in the country have more than doubled since 2017, to more than 460. Colombia is one of the planet's most biodiverse countries, and this year it will host the UN's Biodiversity Conference. Scientists in South Korea have created a hybrid rice with a meaty component to offer an affordable and eco-friendly source of protein. Researchers hope it may serve as relief from famine, as military rations or even as space food in the future. However, it's unclear whether consumers will take to it. Michelle Roberts reports.
4: The rice was first coated in fish gelatine to help the beef cells latch on and the grains were left in a Petri dish to culture for up to 11 days. The meaty component boosts its protein content. According to the team at Yonsei University, it has 8% more protein as a result. It's apparently a bit firmer and brittler than regular rice, and it has a smaller carbon footprint compared to beef, since the production method eliminates the need to rear lots of animals.
2: A female stingray at an aquarium in the United States has bewildered scientists after she was found to be pregnant despite no male stingrays being in the same tank for eight years. Experts have debunked theories that the fish, named Charlotte, might have mated with one of five small sharks she lives with. They believe she became pregnant through parthenogenesis, a type of asexual reproduction in which offspring develop from unfertilized eggs. BBC News.
0: Hey Khaled, news editor here at KALW. In case you missed it, a group of protesters closed the Golden Gate Bridge this morning to demand a ceasefire in Gaza. And two local oil refineries have settled their lawsuits over past fines against the Bay Area Air Quality Management District. You can hear these stories as well as others from our partners at NPR by logging onto our website at KALW.org. Meanwhile, keep your dial set on 91.7 or KALW, San Francisco Bay Area.
1: Remember that tune? I admit, rather an odd tune for this Valentine's Day, but I bet you it takes you back a few years. That's understandable. It was the 1970 hit recorded by my guest, someone who was inducted into the 2017 class of the Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame in her hometown of Detroit. Fresh out of high school, she toured with Pearl Bailey's Musical Review and sang with the Duke Ellington Band, subsequently making appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson when the show originated in New York City, The Merv Griffin Show, and The Dick Cavett Show. Back in 1964, she joined the four tops, Billy, Ekst- uh, uh, Billy Eps- Eckstein and Nipsey Russell and the Quincy Jones Tour. And it's hard to believe she's still going strong with a number of albums to her credit and a currently nationally acclaimed touring show that makes a one-night-only stop at the Marin Center's Showcase Theater this Friday. Frida Payne, such an honor to have you with us on the arts.
5: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, John. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
1: That's yeah. o- that's okay, and it's David, but I, you know, some people call me David.
5: Don. David. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this show is called a tribute to Ella Fitzgerald. Tell us why you feel so connected to her.
5: Well, I started becoming a fan of of listening to her music back when I was twelve years old in Detroit, and I, you know, I'd have the radio on, and and uh, she would, you know, they play uh, selections by her. And uh, also, they there were different other singers that I admired, not just Ella. There was Edie Gourmet. There was Julie London. There was Chris Connor, Sarah Vaughn, Carmen McRae. Uh, there were a lot of... Oh, Gloria Lynn was another singer I was infatuated with. I say inf- I was infatuated with her. and uh, But then Ella kind of stood out, and she's the one that kind of survived...
1: Okay, now we wait have, a minute. We, I got to give we, him a treat. That's right. Well, Fre- <laughs> Fre- Fre- vocalist Frida Payne is joined by the beautiful Rocky, her her pup. Yeah, my
5: Rocky, <laughs> my my new. Uh, he's a pup. He's only five months old, and uh, he's a chitsu Lhasa Apsa poodle, and he is a terror
1: hold him up Rocky. to hold up to the microphone so everyone can see her even oh, though this no nah, this is radio don't worry <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this is no visuals here I so you just... you actually had okay. a chance to to meet Ella once as well didn't you
5: I did this was oh my god many years ago it was back in New York and it was um I was with my friend Faye Treadwell who was um, her husband George Treadwell? They they managed Dinah Washington, Sarah Vaughn, people like that, and um, and also she was a um, she was a manager. She manages the she managed the Drifters. Uh, and speaking of the Drifters, there's a musical now that opened uh, on the uh, on in the West End in London. And it's called the Drifters Girl, and it's about the Drifters, but it's about the lady who started them off and who was their you know manager and that was Faye Treadwell, and that was goes as far back as in the uh, in the fifties sixties seventies and on up you know until she passed away but and her daughter uh, Tina Treadwell, is the one who was behind the whole the whole thing It's wonderful it should be on it should be on Broadway. I saw it she um she invited me and and uh, as her guest to come to london and i saw it uh, myself and this was it's, a, it's wonderful and i mean you've got musicals out there uh on broadway by, about motown and, and about the temptations but let me tell you the drifters came before all of them mm-hmm.
1: that's right for sure.
5: you know what i mean yeah and they had a string of hits so uh, I think they deserve to be on Broadway.
1: Indeed. And and thinking also of, of Ella Fitzgerald's long and storied career, she's just uh, quite a role model. Now, one of, one of the best-known recordings of Ella's comes from one of her live performances in Berlin back in 1960. I'm sure you'll remember it. Where she right. memorably forgot some of the later choruses to "Mac the Knife, but kept right on going, riffing and improvising.
5: And And you know what? I do her version. I do the... The uh, version where she messed up and she forgot the lyrics, so she just made up her own lyrics. Well, let's and let's, the
1: funny, let's, let's remind. The funny
5: part, yeah, go ahead. Is, is that um, Norman Grant's her manager? They put it out, and it became a hit all over again.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's remind people of that recording. Then we'll talk more with Frida Payne. Here's the great uh, Mac the Knife sung by Ella Fitzgerald back in 1960. Then more with Frida Payne.
0: Thank you. We'd like to do something for you now. We haven't heard a girl sing it. And since it's so popular, we'd like to try and do it for you. We hope we remember all the words. Oh, the shark has pearly teeth, dear. And <laughs> he shows.
1: memorable 1960 Ella Fitzgerald in uh, Germany live at the Deutschland house yeah. uh, it's a tune that uh, my guest Frida Payne will include in her tribute to Ella Fitzgerald this Friday at the Marin Center showcase theater one show only this Friday at 8 p.m. Frida Payne uh, that I can't, can't wait to hear your your take on that as well as some other Ella tunes now okay. uh, it's now you of course is ella is a big scatting is a big part of her 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 delio and improv as well is that a big part of your technique when you perform as well oh
5: yeah oh yeah i do a lot of that i do a lot of that you, if you're going to do ella you got to scat <laughs> there's no getting around it you right. got to you oh, know wow. if it's going to be authentic you know you got to you got to throw a little bit of that in you know
1: Mm, indeed. Um, now, your career is a virtual who's who of greats in the entertainment industry, some of whom you've mentioned already. Now, who stands out to you the most, either performing for or with or as a continuing inspiration?
5: Well, I, I, I would have to say um, Sammy Davis Jr. Wow. OK. He was the he was the consummate entertainer. He he did it all. You know, he was a, a great, he was a good vocalist, by the way. He was a great vocalist. Oh, he yeah. had a good voice. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, he did impersonations. Of course, I don't do impersonations. Well, I have done it, but you know, on a nominal, a, a, a much smaller basis than, than what he did. And, um, he also was a great dancer, a great tap dancer. And, uh, so an actor, he was a good actor as well. He did it. it. You
1: know, when I revisit his recording of Mr. Bojangles, I just see such technique in that and such maturity and and style of music. It's really wonderful to hear him sing again.
5: And you know what? He had all this, like you said, technique, style. He had class. And you would think, oh, God, what, you know, and and he could speak so well. And, you know, he only went through the two as far as in school, the sixth grade, I believe. Hmm. and uh so it it must be it was a gift from God. it was a gift from God for sure.
1: well, for your tribute to Ella show this Friday, you've got a great band backing you up, including Oakland singer Kenny Washington, who's been dubbed the Superman of the Bay Area, jazz scene by the San Francisco Chronicle. Tell us about how your artistic paths crossed, and about the rest of your band friday
5: um well. I have never, to honest, to be honest, I've never met Kenny Washington.
1: Wow, okay. I've
5: only heard about him through other people, That but he has a stellar reputation. And um, so I'm looking forward. I've heard nothing but great things about Kenny Washington. So I'm looking forward to uh, meeting him and... We possibly may be doing a duet. Together. I should
1: hope so. My goodness! Also, as part of this A list of musicians, you've got Grammy winning Tammy Hall on piano, Leon Joyce Jr. on the drums, and the great Gary Brown on bass.
5: Well, here's the latest update. I get <laughs> okay, a call. I, got some... I I get a call from Tammy, or let's say I rather I called her much earlier today, just to tune in and kind of like talk about some of the music we're doing and uh, she sounded she didn't sound too good She i said are you okay she said i've got covet oh no she says i've got covet and she says i tested myself and, and uh, that's how i found out i got covet i've got a temperature and i'm you know i i just feel miserable so I said, well, what are we going to do? We got to get another, we got to get somebody. So she uh, actually, she got me, the new pianist now is Larry Dunlap.
1: Oh my gosh, I know Larry really well. He's he's super yeah. guy, super guy. You're yeah, going to be he, very lucky to have him.
5: Yeah, I know, I know, I know I'm, I'm lucked out. Uh, I did work with him once, and I worked with him uh, several years ago. This was in Ham, uh, Hampton, Virginia, where I did a... uh Lena Horne tribute and he was the and he was the pianist.
1: Yeah, it's very so, magical at those keys. That's and for And sure. I
5: remember I remember, you know, liking him very much. Just very much just like you said. He's a terrific guy and a terrific musician.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, I important. super guy. Hey, uh Frida you along with a few other prominent Angelinos. Was, we're honored by the Los Angeles Mayor Karen Black earlier this month with the Living Legend Award, which recognizes individuals who have made significant contributions in media, entertainment, the arts, education, and more that have enriched African American heritage. Congratulations on that.
5: Thank you, thank you.
1: Well, it is Valentine's Day, and uh, perhaps if uh, someone's sweetheart forgot to get something on this date, well, this would be a perfect Valentine's Day gift. This Friday at the Marin Center, a special tribute to Ella Fitzgerald with the great Frida Payne. And hey, Frida, since it is Valentine's Day, how about a little live acapella of my funny Valentine <laughs> to go out with?
5: Oh, Okay. Unphotographable
0: Yet you're
1: my favorite Of all. Let's do a duet Is your figure Less than Greek Is your mouth yes. A little weak When you open it to speak Are you smart no, A
5: little weak Too smart, but don't change a hair for me. Not if you you care care
6: for me. me. Stay, Stay,
1: little Valentine's Day. stay.
5: Stay. Each day is Valentine's Day. Okay,
1: I can put it on my resume now that I've sung a duet with Frida Payne. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for taking some time, Frida. Have a great show on Friday, and uh, look forward to more that's coming out of that amazing voice of yours.
5: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, David.
1: Still to come a community music center extravaganza reopening. Fred Pitts with Aren't You at the Marsh in Berkeley and a wonderful group event from the Pub Choir. You are the chorus coming up on March 10th. Stay with us on the arts. Great Frida Payne still going strong and at the uh, Marin Center Showcase Theater this Friday. One show only. Take your valentine there. It's an 8 o'clock show. Links at our website. I'm David LaTulip and you're listening to On the Arts on KALW. Hey, the Community Music Center is celebrating the grand opening of its new expanded campus in the heart of San Francisco's Mission District with a uh, grand open ribbon cutting on Wednesday, the 21st, and a free public open house the following Sunday. The expansion of the center allows the Community Music Center to increase the number of tuition free music programs and launch new programs to address critical community needs, such as supporting bilingual music education and removing barriers to arts access for all. To tell us more, I'm pleased to welcome the Executive Director of the Community Music Center, Julie Riljek Steinberg. Julie became the ED of CMC in 2017 and brings an extensive background in fundraising and institutional advancement as well as a wealth of experience in brand identity, strategic planning, and best practices for program development and sustainability to the position. Prior to joining the Community community Music Center, Julie served as the executive director of the Turtle Bay Music School in New York City. She's also a teacher of the Orff Schulwerk Method and holds degrees from NYU's Steinhardt School for Culture, Education, and Human Development. Julie, welcome back to uh, The Arts.
7: Hi, David. It's so nice to be here with you. Thank you for um, that beautiful introduction. Reviewing my resume, I forgot about some of that. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be embarrassed if, if people started reading mine from, from so long ago. <laughs> well, let's, let's back up a bit. Tell us about the beginnings of Community Music Center, which goes back to 1921.
7: It's true. We are 102 years young, so CMC was founded uh, in 1921 by a woman named Gertrude Field. And the mission at that time is what the mission is today, which is to make music accessible to all people, regardless of their financial means. Since that time, we have grown to be one of the uh, largest community arts organizations in the country. Um, The number of students that we serve have grown, uh, gosh, almost 11-fold. So we started with about 270 students in 1925, and we have over 3,000 today. So um, those are folks aged four, so the little ones just joining us all the way through, say, 94. Um, so folks at all ages and stages of their learning. We um, we pride ourselves on helping people to live a musical life, whatever that might be for them. So um, this expansion at our Mission District home is the real first significant physical expansion um, of CMC since we opened our Richmond District branch back in 1983. Um, wow. That branch is going strong too. So yes, this is our first sort of big physical expansion since then.
1: Let me let uh, me throw in a fun fact here: the expansion added some 4,000 square feet of teaching and performance space. Now, just how was that possible in the rather smallish footprint that was that is 544 Cap Street?
7: Yes. So we, um, back in 2012, were able to acquire our neighboring building. That's right. So 2012 was 12 years ago. Um, and it has been just a true community effort since then to be able to develop the project. So this could not have happened without the generous support of our community at every step from initial planning to groundbreaking to the development of new programming and now sort of officially opening our doors. Um, we've just had an incredible team effort from our staff and our boards. So um, yes, it's it's been quite incredible. So um, what that means for us is that we've, we've been able to bring these two buildings together um, as well as with our concert hall. We have seven new spaces for teaching and learning, including a new recital space. Um, so we'll have more performances, which is another big piece of our music uh, education and music presentation that we do. Um, And our new space really allows us to prioritize group learning. So um, having folks make music together, um, that's very critical. uh, And it helps folks kind of address the bonds of community. um, And we're just so happy to have the opportunity then to welcome more students. Um, for us, that could be as many as 900 or 1,000 students when we reach our full capacity.
1: Wow. I've read that currently the, the CMC serves over 4,000 students and provides a tuition assistance program to nearly 70% of those, which amounted right. which amounted to close to $3 million in 2023.
7: That's right. Every year um, we have students who participate with us in all different kinds of ways. So um, of those 3,000, about 1,400 of them participate in tuition-free programs. Uh, Those take place here at our Mission Branch, at our Richmond Branch, and at sites all over the city, um, as well as with the San Francisco Unified School District. So um, we really have been committed to accessibility and thinking about how we can meet people where they are. Um, And so that also has been the impetus in our thinking for how we've developed programming in our new space.
1: Well, congratulations on all that. (laughs) Uh, Well, what are people in store for, for the upcoming grand opening ribbon cutting events and the public open house subsequently on Sunday, the 25th?
7: Yeah, we have so much happening. We, um, We have tended not to do anything small, (laughs) so um, we are having our big ribbon-cutting ceremony next Wednesday, February 21st. We will have music from our faculty, from our students, some really special guests as well, Um, and it's just going to be a really joyful celebration of this this moment when we officially open our space. Um, From there, uh, as you mentioned, the following Sunday, we're going to have a free It's a family-friendly event from 3 to 5 p.m., but uh, both kids and adults can take part in free demo classes. They can be uh, in a jam session. They can enjoy some of the outdoor performances that we'll have in our outdoor spaces, Um, and they'll get to meet some of our partners. We'll have neighborhood partners tabling with us and also have some art-making activities uh, with our wonderful neighbors from Ruth's Table. So um, for those who come They'll have a chance to sort of explore this space. They'll get to meet our faculty who are extraordinary, world-class musicians and find out sort of how they might start their musical journey or um, just pick up where they left off. Uh, we will have more than that happening, of course, throughout the months of March and April. We are um, launching our celebration series, so there will be uh, performances every Friday night here in March featuring some really amazing local musicians, including uh, the Stone Foxes, La Familia Peña Govea, uh, Marcus Shelby, Los Jefes. We've got lots of folks who will be giving concerts at that time, uh, Curtis Family C Notes. So we encourage our community to come and visit with us right now. It's a great time to to be at cmc
1: that's a lot to take in so go to (laughs) org to find an event that you'd like to attend uh that's uh julie rolyak steinberg the executive director of the community music center julie i'd be remiss if i didn't also mention that coming up on march 8th at the palace hotel is a great sf cmc gala tell us what's in store there
7: Yes. So um, as you mentioned, we have a really significant tuition assistance program. And the way that we are able to do that is through the generosity of our community. Um, and our gala is one place that we raise uh, some of those critical funds that are really important. But this is the party to be at. It's going to be a hoot. Um, and we are so excited to be back at the beautiful Palace Hotel. We have incredible performers. I think that's one thing that sets our big fundraiser apart um, because we are a music institution. We have phenomenal music. Uh, we'll have uh, Diana Gamros and her amazing ensemble joining us as our sort of headline performers. Uh, and La Dona will uh, be our after-party entertainment. Um, and our gala is also a time when we get to uh, honor folks with uh, our highest award that we can offer, which is the Gertrude Field Community Impact Award in honor of our founder, Gertrude Field. So um, this year on International Women's Day, March 8th is International Women's Day, we are going to honor three remarkable women, uh, Martha Rodriguez-Salazar and Jennifer Peringer, who are two extraordinary faculty members of CMC as well as um, just amazing musicians and community members, as well as Francis Phillips, who is uh, a longtime, really well-respected funder in the arts, a poet, uh, and then just an incredible human being. Who, but all these women have been really influential to CMC. So we're excited to to award them with our highest honor, and there'll be you know dinner and cocktails and dancing and a scholarship option and. Uh, As I mentioned, all the proceeds uh, support our mission and make scholarships available for our students. So uh, everybody's welcome. Tickets are going fast. Uh, So, yeah, March 8th. 5.30, Five thirty, the event begins.
1: That's a Friday evening at five thirty at the Palace Hotel, sfcmc dot org for more information on that, and for all goings on on the brand spankin' new San Francisco Community Center on Cap Street, and of course the Richmond Extension as well. Lots going on there. Julie Steinberg, thanks so much for sharing what's going on with with the with Community Music Center.
7: It's a pleasure to be here. We can't wait to see uh, you and all your listeners soon.
1: We'll see you soon. Thanks. Still to come, you'll hear about a pub choir event at August Hall on Mason Street from Astrid Jorgensen, the founder of Pub Choir. Philippa Kelly will talk with her. This is KLW San Francisco Bay Area. Well, a little bit of choir mixed in with the theme from Shaft. I'll tell you why in a minute, or the artist will. Following a successful East Bay run and a celebrated transfer to San Francisco, Aren't You? returns to the Marsh, Berkeley through March 2nd, written and performed by Fred Pitts. In this solo work, Fred recounts his hilarious journey to visit all 21 California mission churches, where he discovers that being black makes him an instant celebrity. The question is, <laughs> which one? Aren't you... Well, who better to tell us who he is than Fred Witz. He's a San Francisco-based actor who has been performing in the Bay Area for some 20 years and has worked with numerous regional theaters, including Shotgun Players, the Pear Theater, Palo Alto Players, African American Shakes... Contra Costa Civic Theater, Exit Theater, among others, and also has numerous film and commercial credits as well. He was an emergency medicine physician for some 20 years, and now Pitts works when not on stage in drug safety. Fred Pitts, welcome to On the Arts. It's such a wonderful time to to tell us about this show, Aren't You? Uh, and tell us why we chose that music. A little bit of choir and then some <laughs> some music from Shaft.
3: Thank you, David. It's a pleasure being here. Um, short version. Um, I'm a history geek and I like visiting old churches and everything old and I stumbled upon a mission at one point several years ago and said, let me just see all the missions. And I did this trip from San Rafael all the way down to San Diego and every time I seemed like every time I went to a mission, somebody I met along the way would say, you look like, insert name, a famous black person. (laughs) And it happened once, then it happened twice, then it happened multiple times, and I was posting it on social media, and people kept tuning in saying, that really happened? What happened today? Someone said make it into a solo show, and after, I think, a five-year delay, I took a class with David Ford at the Marsh, and it became a show, (laughs) just about that adventure. And the reason I have... That intro, which is choir music from Giovanni Palestrina going into Shaft is because, you know, well, it's Shaft. And (laughs) the the choir music goes along with it. But there's a reason it's Shaft, because Richard Roundtree is one of the people folks thought I looked like. So,
1: Ah, okay. (laughs) Yep, that's why. Well, you mentioned the great David Ford. You're working with one of the great incubators of solo shows. Tell us about your relationship with him and how he contributed to tightening up the show.
3: I'm, well... when I went to his class, I don't know how many years ago, probably like five or six, I just had an Excel file, well, a word file of all those Facebook posts and said, "Let me read this to you," and I read it and he said, "We can make that into a show so literally over a year and three of his courses, we worked together and developed the show, workshopped it, presented it, edited you know added some stuff, took some stuff away, and came up with a show i mean he's he's brilliant um I've seen so many shows at the Marsh." That have had his hand in them, and I knew I was in really good hands. I knew once we were done, you know, with the, with his guidance, we could come up with a great product. And I got lucky; I had a I had a subject that worked, but he just could see the show at the end before I even knew it was a show.
1: And uh, it's being directed by Sean J. West, working in mm-hmm. concert, so to speak, with uh, David Ford, or separately once once uh, David was done.
3: Once David was done, I mean, he, he was the initial person directing, and then when I started trying to produce it on a larger scale. Then I got Shanji, and Shanji's a well-known uh, black director in the Bay Area. He's done a lot of work um, with Alterina, uh, with New Conservatory Theaters, actually in a the show there uh, coming up soon. Uh, actually, one of my really good friends, and I trust his vision. I trust his talent as a director. Um, I trust the fact that he's experienced a lot of the, what I have. So working with him... Help me just relax and expand the show and make it more relatable to everybody and just have, have more fun with it.
1: Right. Right. Well, um, this show has been called a, a quote, timely examination of both conscious racism and unconscious <laughs> bias by Metro Silicon Valley. Can you tell us what they mean by that?
3: I don't, well, I didn't write it luckily, <laughs> but I think as you watch the show and hopefully you and everybody else out there will actually get to see the show, you, I tell the story of just me walking, you know, in the shoes of a black man, clearly. And what happens, you know, you, you, you go to a mission and someone says, You look like this person. And you're left with, Why did you say I look like this person? I mean, I literally, the only black person at these places. And I didn't see that conversation taking place with other guests who basically weren't black. And I thought, Hmm, that's interesting. The the show I put together it doesn't accuse people. It I I'd say it. You laugh, you cringe, you think, and the idea is to step outside of yourselves, step into the 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 footprints of a black man experiencing this. And I I also wrote about the history of the missions because you know as as an African American in this country with the struggles we're having now with what's being taught in our schools, what is history and what is not. You know the missions are kind of an example of that you know what is the story of the mission that had been taught in the past and what's the story that should be told and right, you know, every, right. all history has multiple sides and I'm a fan of people learning all aspects because in general history is told by the victors
1: right um, it's refreshing um, that now the mission histories are being rethought
3: and re exactly re-examined. exactly and it's funny because i shut this this experience happened you know i don't know how many years ago 8 or 9 years ago And I've tried to at least try to comment on some of the missions changing things, you know, trying to expand the story. And that's what I want people to understand. It's, it's, you need to go to the missions and see the story for yourselves, but I also want you to read all sides of the mission history. Just like when it comes to black history, you need to read everything. You can't just go out and read one side of, you know, American history. I I talk about this, the fact that when I was in grade school, you know, they mentioned the Civil War, but the slavery part—they just kind of glossed it over, and made it look a little bit pretty. Hmm. And so, as you know, in the last 30 years, we've we've learned the histories that were really eliminated or glossed over because just people weren't comfortable with it or didn't want to talk about it.
1: Well, after all, you know, all the, in Florida, would they learn that you know the, the slave owners helped and benefited this. Oh yeah, we benefited so from much. slavery. No, we yeah, didn't. No, yeah. we didn't. <laughs>
3: So it's that it's that kind of thing. You, you know, know it, it,
1: it's it, it on that subject. You know, it just infuriates and maddens me that this country does not have a unified education. You can learn something in Alabama, which would be completely different from something in Massachusetts, which is different from what what a kid would learn in mass in California. No wonder we're such a schizophrenic country. You know, it's it it's be hard well, to get a it, national curriculum, but gosh darn it
3: well, we I, you know sometimes they think we're we're a country of fifty little countries hmm. yeah. you know in that in that respect, and it's such a large country with such a wide variety of history it it's the challenge is just getting everyone to accept the fact that everyone has their own history, you know like you know the, the history of African Americans in this country is really not a lot of what we were taught, which is not a whole lot you know I make the example of in the in the show, I say, anybody here heard of the German Coast Rebellion of 1811? And nobody raises their hands. Like the largest civil, the largest slave revolt in U.S. history. Wow. Like Five hundred slaves marched on New Orleans. No one knows this. It just wasn't taught. So, I'm going
1: to raise my hand there as well. You Sorry. Know, yeah. yeah. That's wow. the
3: that's the goal. Just kind of just to to raise awareness. And honestly, the show's not heavy handle. The show is very funny. I think, and a lot of people who've seen it laugh. That's and that good. was the yeah. goal, just to make it funny. And if you're thinking about it afterwards, great.
1: Right, you don't want to beat people over the head, but you want to make them a little bit more aware. Now, many a Marsh show has the performer inhabiting multiple characters. Is that the case with this show? Thirty-six. Oh oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that on that note, I've been talking with Richard Roundtree about his. I'm sorry. No, it's uh You're (laughs) funny. Fred Pitts, whose solo show aren't you is at the Marsh Berkeley through March second the marsh dot org for more information Fred, uh, thank you so much for taking some time today and uh, look forward to catching the show.
3: Thank you very much. appreciate it,
1: Fred Pitts. The show is aren't you at the Marsh Berkeley. That's the sound of some 18,000 strangers in a pub sharing some music together. Here to tell us more is my regular guest interview and guest host, Philippa Kelly, with Esther Jorgensen, the founder of Pub Choir. Take it away, Philippa.
4: Thank you, David. And a very special welcome to Astrid, who is a fellow Australian. And um I asked David and Janice a couple of weeks ago whether we could interview Astrid because she is coming on tour uh, to America. And she is really um a household name in Australia. I'll just tell you a little bit about her in a moment. But, uh, first of all, her performance of the pub choir is at August Hall, 420 Mason Street, San Francisco at 7 p.m. for one night only on March the 10th. And August Hall has a 32 foot high, um, ceiling and it holds over 900 people. You can get tickets from Web on bandsintown.com but first of all i wanted to tell you that um, astrid graduated from lords hill school in 2006 57 years after my mother graduated um, and she was also, like Astrid, school captain. So that's a little, uh, tie we have, uh, aside from being Australians, Astrid. Um, in 2021, she was named one of the 40 under 40 most influential Asian Australians, uh, by a leadership summit in the country. And she's received numerous honours and awards, including Australia's highest award, the Order of Australia in 2023 uh, awarded to a very few Australians of the highest level in the arts, scientists, sciences, theatre, politics, and it's an award which I will add many ancient. Top-level Australian public servants are still waiting to be nominated for, and she got it at an insanely young age. So welcome, Astrid. It's such a thrill to have you here with us. And Philippa,
8: what an intro! That's the first time anyone's ever read my school credentials. I'm feeling <laughs> good. I'm feeling young.
4: <laughs> well, Astrid, it's such a. I've been hearing about you for so long from my friends in Australia. And it's such a thrill to be coming to see you on March the 10th at uh, August Hall in uh, in Mason Street. Um, but first of all, can you tell us what we will experience at the pub choir? And more importantly, do we need to be able to hold a tune?
8: Well, um, it's two big questions. The first thing is what to expect. Um... The, the exciting answer is, I don't know, because at the show, it's a totally live experience. It's improvised. And so I will be bringing with me a song that I have bespoke arranged for this American tour. And then I don't know who's going to come to the show. You've told me you'll be there. So I know one person. Um, <laughs> but in terms of an entire room full of people that have never met before, I don't exactly know what the result will be. I know what I hope musically, the notes that I'm going to be teaching, what I hope to achieve with the, with the room musically, but it feels totally in the moment. It's an analog experience where whoever is in the room will be taught an arrangement live by me and we will see what happens. It's always something magical and, um, unique, but, uh, we will be a- a singing a song in three part harmony by the end of the show. And as, for do you need to be able to hold a tune? What I would say is everybody can sing. Can everybody sing well? Absolutely not. <laughs> but those two things are really different concepts. And all I need you to do at pub choir is to sing. I will tell you what notes I hope for. And if you sing really different ones as a group, then we'll have a really funny chat about it. But the, the, the beautiful thing about any choir, not just pub choir, is that it is... The sum of the parts equals a greater whole. You know, if you don't know the note to sing, there's 100 other people trying to sing the same note. Somebody must know. And that's how we achieve this magical musical destination together. If we we bring each other along the way and just share the note, then something good is going to come out of it.
4: I'm so excited. And it's funny because in Australia there are now everybody 2000 people at each of Astrid's events. Um, so who knows? Maybe this, uh, this will be also sold out in San Francisco, or maybe it'll be. Astrid, me, and David La Tulipe. Who knows? Um- <laughs> well, actually, Philippa, this is kind of crazy. I hope this is
8: not an anti-scoop for your show. But just now, like literally just now, my message, my manager just texted me to say that the San Francisco show just sold out. Oh my so that's eight hundred and fifty people. So, Philippa, if you forget the note, someone else is going to know. So, <laughs> eight hundred and fifty people at the choir just for one night. Somebody will know what to do. It's going to be fine.
4: That's fantastic. Oh, I'm, I'm so thrilled. Um, well, so you began after you graduated from university and from the conservatory, you began, uh, your career by teaching music at high schools. What was your inspiration to move from that to, to forming the pub choir?
8: There's, there was lots about teaching that didn't suit me. I think that teachers are the most resilient, brilliant, generous people. Um, perhaps I'm not those things because I used to just get in my car and arrive at the classroom and daydream about any invention I could think of that would I could retire. It just never felt right to me that when it came to music, I was ranking the students against each other on an on a very. Um, subjective topic, you know, like some kid would come in and sing their heart out, and I would, I would (laughs) write down on their exam paper, B plus, you know, and it's, and it's sort of like, that's just my opinion. You can definitely be the fastest runner in the world, but can you be the best singer? That's an opinion. Mm -hmm. And so it just never, it never sat right with me. Of course, you can teach things like music fundamentals and theory and technique, but when it came down to it, the kids wanted to, study music because it made them feel happy and they loved it. And I really worried I was ruining music for children, which is a really big burden. (laughs) So I I guess pub choir was kind of like a, a fun solution for me where it offers music making to people with no judgment. There's no metric. It's an analog experience. You're allowed to come to pub choir because you like singing, because you want to make music. And I think a really powerful result of the show that people might not go into it expecting is that I hope that the lesson that is learned by 850 people in San Francisco is after they have got over the excitement of learning a song together, they realize that the music and the song that they performed was shaped anew. Music belongs to us to be participants. Um, I think a lot of us listen to music or view performances as consumers. Like there's them and here's us and we can never the two shall meet. But actually, music is something that is alive and we shape it around us so that we can express something new that is unable to be expressed by words even sometimes. So at at the show, it's like this revelation sometimes for audiences that music is something that we can... Be a part of. We are the music makers, even if the music we make sucks.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited that for once I won't have to be singing along in my car, Astrid. Um, That's if,
8: it. That's the kind of voice that we need, though. Although one thing I will say, at Pub Choir, we're not singing along with, with a karaoke track. We are the singers. Oh, yes, so this I know. So is, this is the big difference. So bring that singing along voice, your car voice, but then you become the performer at the show, which is a very powerful transition
4: to make. Yes, I've been watching the videos, actually. Anybody who wants to see one of the um, online videos... Go to Pub Choir and you will see people just transformed by this event. And big shout out to my dear friends Pauline Betelago and Jenny Lizio who are attending Astrid's uh, Brisbane. They never miss one of your events. They're attending that in Brisbane at the end of February just before you take off to the States. And I want to close out with a second uh, piece of music from one of Astrid's events. And it is um, Africa by Toto and 2,000 Australians. Thank you, Astrid. (laughs) 18,000. See you you soon, Philippa. (laughs) 18,000. See you on the 10th.
1: Go to pubchoir.com for more information about everything Pub Choir. And, you know, there might be some cancellations for the March 10th event. You never know, but uh, great to see those videos as well. Thank you to Astrid Jorgensen and, of course, Philippa Kelly for offering that. I'm David LaTulipe on the Arts Here on KLW on Wednesday, Sting, who I interviewed just prior to the pandemic and whose interview you can hear you can hear and see on uh, KLW.org and the on the arts tab. He was here to promote his solo show, his, his musical that he was also starring in, well, he's the featured guest with the San Francisco Symphony tonight and tomorrow for performances that have very few tickets left. So if you want a special Valentine gift, why don't you go catch Sting at uh, San Francisco Symphony, org, or just head on down to the box office. Here, since it is Valentine's Day, is Sting's version of My Funny Valentine with the great Herbie Hancock.
6: my funny valentine sweet comic valentine you make me smile Favorite work of art? Is your figure less than Greek? Is your mouth a little weak? When you open it to speak, are you smart? Don't change your hair for me. If you care for me, stay, little Valentine. Each day is Valentine's Day. The
1: Great Sting. Featuring Herbie Hancock from that release, My Funny Valentine. On this Valentine's Day 2024, hope you find someone special to share it with. If not, treat yourself to a nice meal and a drink on the house. Sting appearing tonight and tomorrow night with the San Francisco Symphony, sfsymphony.org for more about that concert. I'm David LaTulip. You've been listening to On the Arts on KALW San Francisco Bay Area, archived at klw.org. My thanks to Janice Lee for producing the show.
6: Mm -hmm. Is your figure less than? your mouth a little weak when you open it to speak are you smart don't change your hair for me not if you care for me stay little Valentine Today is Valentine.